0: Good morning and welcome to yet another episode of An Unqualified Guide to the Good Life, the show where we try to work out what it means to live well despite having no qualifications to do so. My name, as always, is Adam and with me, as always, is Nick Schmale. Frankly, I'm getting sick of him. I feel like we need a new host. What do you think, listeners at home? Good morning, Nick. How are you?
1: (laughs) Was this the beginning or the end of the episode? (laughs) Jesus,
0: It can be both. We can just cut both in. We're just doing a short one today.
1: I'm, I'm, yeah, this is what happens. If, if the introduction goes poorly, we, we cut the second half, shoot the episode, and then just have Adam shoot me down at the end. I'm doing okay, uh, Adam. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not overwhelmed by the amount of love that I'm receiving, but, uh you know, who, who needs friendship and support?
0: Well Nick, if you were overwhelmed by the amount of
1: love you were receiving, we
0: wouldn't be able to make this podcast because you'd be overwhelmed. <laughs> That's so
1: That's true. But, it's then, for the but then I was good. gonna say who needs friendship and support when you have But then I realized I have nothing, Adam, <laughs> I have nothing else. So you
0: know <laughs> they're the most important ingredients to the good life. It's for sure um the case. And um I hope you, you get something else, perhaps um uh, a nice um sandwich.
1: Yeah. Me too
0: how are you yeah I'm fine I'm fine the the, the view I'm, I'm out of quarantine now, and the views of the trees are lovely here in in Zurich they're bright orange even as as the sky is a cloudy gray, but it's nice to um, wander in the woods and imagine that that you are a, a romantic poet about to be taken by the consumption. <laughs>
1: yeah i mean the first half of that was more enticing <laughs> you know you you are a romantic poet if you if you say you are adam you know if no, you can ca- if you can ca- capital R if you can romantic capital R no, romantic and me and byron oh, are hanging
0: out and Shelley's there too both of them um
1: well i suppose you can be a you can be a. well there, there was such a thing as the new romantics you yeah i mean yeah you you new it's romantic you're right you're the newest newest romantics romantics. yeah a new school has arrived (laughs) the newest (laughs) school the the final school (laughs) final school (laughs) indeed the ultimate boss of poetry cool well enough about that yeah before we start on this episode which, we, we, I mean, we have started technically, but before we get into the themes and the nitty-gritty of yeah. this episode, are there any things that you would like to reflect on from last week? Am I catching you unawares by bringing this up?
0: You're not catching me unawares, but it did the, the problem with, with doing this, Nick, is that we're, like, <laughs> we're, we're an episode behind in our release schedule. So the last episode we recorded hasn't been released yet. Um, so I haven't listened back to it. I'm I'm looking back over my notes, um, but I didn't add new notes. I might have picked up on something on listening to it, but I can't. We, I'm going to have to figure out a way of catching up for the next time you ask me this question. Um, yeah, this is a good
1: point. You know what? I'm just going to edit this segment out.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Fair
1: enough. Is there anything you want to add
0: that may or may not be edited out?
1: I would like to add, no, actually, no, not really. It was a strong episode. Great. We're perfect. Yeah. Basically, basically. Yeah. Okay. Moving past that, then, uh, on today's episode, this is a shambolic introduction, but yeah. On today's very episode, cheerful for what we're going to be talking about. <laughs> we are, um, Well, we're discussing basically the complicity of the everyday man in the oppressive systems of evil, if that's not too pretentious a way of phrasing things. Yeah, sorry. I use that, that kind of casually sort of patriarchal term of referring to like humans as, as man. Um, so apologies for that. Mm. I've I've been, I've been, I've been steeped in colonial reading. I'm trying to i'm trying to unindoctrinate but anyway um we are discussing yeah whether whether um the notion of of tacit consent as we saw in episode two or three uh of of this season as applied to systems particularly of capitalisms of capitalism um and how they operate in the contemporary day whether that idea can be um applied retrospectively as well to uh Nazism, for instance, or, um, the evils of segregation, both in apartheid South Africa and, um, Jim Crow Southern America, or mm-hmm. even just America. And, um, what, what we can deduce about the, the, the contribution of the majority, um, to these, to these trends of evil and, um, what that what that says about a moral compass is it is it is there such a thing as 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 a good nazi as a harmless nazi um or are all people who are registered to the party complicit in the crimes how are we to look back on these people how is the way in which we look back at them potentially going to give us insight into how we try and make decisions and moral judgments in the contemporary day and uh, I believe, Adam, you are going to start us off with a bit of a dive into Nazism, actually, uh, as I've been mentioning. Well, before, well
0: like, dive into Nazism
1: take... is, a, is a difficult term.
0: I'm going to look at the, <laughs> the complicity of Germans in, <laughs> under the Nazi regime. You're going to
1: do as much as you can in 10 to 15 minutes with a brief scan of the Internet in preparation. Well,
0: why why must you hurt me so, Nick?
1: I've read books in the past. Not for this episode,
0: but in the past.
1: You could Uh, only have read books in the past, Adam, unless you're reading right now, which would be impressive. No, 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 listen. As a multitasking um, (laughs) accomplishment.
0: Unless we assume that I will never read a book again, I can also read books in the future. That's true. Yeah, that's true. but But I might never read another book. I might be finished with books. So anyway, Nazism. I'm going to start without Nick. <laughs> Please um, do. Do you have a quote? I do have a quote. I do have a quote. Uh, the quote is from um, a, a wonderful book by a guy called Tim Vermes called, um, in English it's called Look Who's Back, uh, although it was originally written in German under the title Er ist wieder da, which means look who's back. Um, well, literally it means like, here he is again. Um, mm. uh, and... Uh, the premise of the book it it's set in 2011 which is when it came out and um adolf hitler wakes up in a in a park in in berlin in 2011 um after some initial confusion he decides to adapt to the world in which he finds himself he becomes uh, he gets a youtube channel becomes a bit of a, of a celebrity um <laughs> gets gets a, gets a following in what i'm realizing now is a it's sort of a a um uh, a frighteningly uh, f- uh, accurate foreshadowing of the, of the populist movements that were to appear in Europe uh, and, and in and, and the West and, and much of the world about five years later. Anyway, not the point. This quote is from a conversation that Hitler... And everyone assumes it's satire in the beginning. Um but and this quote is is from a conversation he has between with with a woman acting as his assistant who accuses him of taking the joke too far and that the nazis were these these bastards who who led the led germany through evil things and so hitler says to fraulein kroma who is who he's talking to fraulein kroma I began i do not imagine that you'll thank me for saying this but you are mistaken in many things the mistake is not yours but it's a mistake all the same These days, people like to assert that an entire folk was duped by a handful of staunch national socialists and faltering to the very end. They're not entirely wrong – an attempt did in fact take place, in Munich, 1924. But it failed with bloody sacrifices. The consequence of this was that another path was taken. In 1933, the folk was not overwhelmed by a massive propaganda campaign – a Führer was elected in a manner which must be regarded as democratic even in today's understanding of the word. A Führer who was elected – A Führer was elected who had laid bare his plans with irrefutable clarity. The Germans elected him, yes, including Jews, and maybe even your grandmother's parents. In 1933 the party could boast 4 million members, after which time we accepted no more. By 1934 the figure might otherwise have been 8 million, 12 million. I do not believe that any of today's parties enjoy anything approaching this support. What I'm trying to say is, either there was a whole folk full of bastards, or what happened was not the act of bastards, but the will of the folk.
1: Wow. Now, yeah. to be clear, that's the voice of Hitler. That's the voice of Hitler in the book. In the book, yeah. Okay, so there is a slight bias there. Yes. <laughs> in terms of his interpretation of events, yes. But nonetheless, that's an interesting insight. And um, I mean, so what, what, what is he saying? Can you can you can you summarize that in a, in a sentence or two? So what what Hitler is essentially saying is that.
0: Um, Whatever, whatever you um, obviously he doesn't believe that that, that the Nazi regime was evil. But if you believe that the Nazi regime was evil, it would be nonsensical to to believe that uh, an entire population was was sort of duped into was not complicit in it. That an entire population was innocent is essentially what he's saying. He's saying that Mm. either. Everyone. Well, he's saying the same thing in two ways. He's saying you cannot accept that an entire country was fooled by these people, and therefore there must have been some level of complicity in it. Yeah,
1: yeah, and uh, and uh, the degree to which I think that complicity is significant is important as well. Yeah, Um, is it not? I mean, in fact, it's it's kind of the crucial issue, and um, you know, the 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 idea that perhaps these operations wouldn't have been possible without this complicity, um, or that these operations hinge on this complicity or dependent upon it is is um, perhaps the scariest aspect of it. Um, yeah, for, for
0: sure that's true. And um, this idea that people can be complicit in evil and can can facilitate evil acts without necessarily even believing in, in, in them, or just because that's what's happening around them, um, is, is the focus of, of the majority of what I'm going to talk about and is, a, is an issue that, that occurred um, is an issue that really troubled the, the German philosopher Hannah Arendt um, whom we've mentioned on, on the podcast before and Hannah Arendt um, wrote a, a, a long essay um, after witnessing the trial of Adolf Eichmann who was a, who was a high-ranking Nazi official um, in which she coined mm. the term the banality of evil and Adolf Eichmann organised transport from uh, uh, for Jews to concentration camps uh, in the latter years of the, of the Nazi regime. And, but ha- Hannah Arendt observed through the trial of him that he didn't seem uh, particularly uh, perverted or sadistic, but he seemed terrifyingly normal. His only motive, apparently, was to advance his career within the Nazi bureaucracy. Which you know we can say probably yeah. about a lot of people and under that the regime, but also perhaps we can say about ourselves every time we order something on Amazon, for example. We know that it's it's wrong, but it's it just makes our lives mm. easier and, and better in some ways. Um, it's it's perhaps in, important to note um, at the beginning that uh, Hannah Arendt was a a student and I believe at one time lover of the famous phenomenologist Martin Heidegger, um, who later definitely was a Nazi um, and Arendt was Jewish so they sort of fell out over over this a little bit um, yeah and so I a lot of a lot of the the, the stuff here comes from from articles uh, w- two articles one by Sam Dessa published on Eon and one by Judith Butler published in in The Guardian. So Arendt a- 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 made these claims right that Eichmann didn't seem to be an evil man he seemed to be a normal man who was interested only in his career and didn't care how he got to it. But And people criticise this fairly. Mary McCarthy, who was a novelist and, and a good friend of Arendt, said, It seems to me that what you're saying is that Eichmann lacks an inherent human quality, the capacity for thought, consciousness, conscience. But then isn't he a monster simply? And this is sort of what Arendt is is getting to the point of. She believes that under National Socialism, a new kind of historical subject became possible, whereby humans implemented policy, but they didn't have any intentions behind them in in the usual sense, right? To have intentions, Aachen says, is to think reflexively about one's own actions um, as a political being whose life is bound up with the lives of others. And what has become banal in this sense is is the act of not thinking. Eichmann's crime, ultimately, was not reflecting on what he was doing. Um, It's not but now that this has happened, it, it, it's unprecedented, shocking, and wrong. Um, but this is ultimately the crux of our issue, that a failure to think and to take into is a failure to take into account the the value that makes things possible. And so, this destruction on on, on the group of of um, on a specific group of people of of, of Jews and and um, uh, communists and um, sort of roma people um what was not just an attack on these groups but an attack on humanity itself since it was denying the base instinct of humans to reason and and have uh and reflect on on our actions Mm.
1: so actually the crucial insight here is that when we think of something that we could so obviously identify as evil in it's and it's in its practices on such a huge scale um, we may have a tendency to envision all individuals involved in it, um, actively engaging in something that they believe to be evil and yeah. with an evil sort of intention for it. Yeah. Um, but r- really the, the banality of the evil is that, um, there is an unthinking quality of it and it's not a question of, of, of morality or whatever the case might be. It's simply a question of showing up, doing your job and then going off to enjoy yourself
0: yeah exactly um and, and the idea that I, I i i don't know if if the if the usual narrative of evil is that is that people say oh i'm going to do this evil thing usually there's some some ideal behind it um like like you know glory for one's for one's race or whatever that that we can denounce mm-hmm. as evil um but but certainly the the just what you're saying is correct. That that. Um, Arendt believed that that really it's possible to do evil simply by not reflecting on something. Mm. This being criticised, uh, another philosopher, Alan Wolf, he pointed out that um, Arendt's analysis really dives into what Eichmann was. Arendt seemed to be concerned about whether Eichmann was an evil man. Um, and Wolf says, you know, this is, uh, this is perhaps a naive view. Evil isn't necessarily a thing that we are, it's a thing that we do, and that's how we should perhaps think about it. Um, and there also were definitely um, evils of Eichmann. Uh, as a member of the Nazi Party, at least publicly, he espoused um, racial purity. And after the uh, the war ended, he he did attempt to destroy evidence of of what he had done. This trial actually took place in um, in Israel um, several years after after the war the war ended. So uh, and there's more there's more to it than this um, uh, that that is that is you know variously useful or not. Um, Eichmann defended himself saying that he, he invoked a, that he had this sense of duty and he, he claimed that he was following Kantian values and to which Arendt responded this was outrageous on the face of it and also incomprehensible since Kant's moral philosophy is so closely bound up with man's faculty of judgment that outrules blind obedience. Mm. Eichmann defend, tried to defend himself saying that uh, the principle of his will must always be such that it become the principle of general laws but but uh, yeah as as Kant as says you know Kant, Kant says that it you have to use the faculty of judgment under Kant so I suppose yeah. I suppose what I'm, what I'm what I'm trying to say through all of this is basically that so as, as we've said before on this podcast self-reflection it can 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 lead to patterns of um, thought and action that we, we 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 could classify as wrong or indeed evil in the extreme cases and if you don't Listen to this podcast. I suppose you're evil, is what I'm, is what I'm trying to say, really? <laughs> At the end there. <laughs> well, that's not the conclusion I was expecting. No, but, um, um... that was that was tongue in cheek, and it felt uh, it felt perhaps disrespectful in the context of what we're talking about, and I regret
1: saying it. But here we are. <laughs> here we are. Well, um, to, to save you from yourself, I yeah. wanted to add something. To what you were saying, I don't know um, if you have seen the uh, pictures which were uncovered a while ago about um, uh, de- de- depicting basically Nazi officers um, from Auschwitz on uh, uh, a holiday camp, not far from the concentration camp. Oh, no, and, I haven't um, seen this. And you just I mean, this kind of exposes the banality of evil. I've actually linked it um, in, in your notes. Um, I just added that. And it's also okay. available um on uh the guardians website in case you the listener wants to go take a look um and the article is called nazis on retreat the ss holiday camp near auschwitz we'll link it in the show notes and, um, yeah we'll link it in the show notes um and this also inspired um uh the author uh, william ryan to um write a novel about it called the constant soldier which is about the last days of the war as seen from a holiday hut <laughs> um not far wow. from Auschwitz, but anyway, what's what's scary about this is you see these offices. I mean, it looks like any other holiday. Like they're all dressed in uniform, and you can see the swastikas prominently displayed. But um, they're smoking, they're drinking, they're smiling. That you know, they're 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 they interact. The men and women are interacting. They're having drinks. They're just they're just shooting the shit. One of the guys is pictured with his dog, patting his German Shepherd, and, and smiling very broadly at the camera. Really, like not a care in the world. You yeah, know? and this is them taking a uh, a break from from working at Auschwitz in like yeah. nineteen nineteen forty three. I think that's when these pictures were captured. Um, yeah, wow. So so that's that. I mean, that's such a it's such a visual image that's really hard to get out of. That like actually these people were. <laughs> Oh, um, oh, this is... The, within e- the bureaucracy. Yeah, even of, later, um, sorry,
0: between December 1944 and January 1945, it, it says. In right, the there article. you go. So, gosh, right. yeah. So even that late
1: on, um, there's this sense of, uh, yeah, just the, just the uh, yeah, the banality of it. It's a common place. It's just a few workers going away for a retreat just to relax. Yeah, I think that demonstrates the importance of of <laughs>
0: reflecting on our own actions in, in the day-to-day. Are there instances where... Where through banality that we are, or not through, but through lack of reflection, we are banali banali is that a word i I'm not that I know of, but let me start again know, through a lack sense. of reflection we are we are allowing um, evil to to exist and, and perpetuate itself through a lack of self reflection and and yeah, just carelessness, I suppose,
1: not that yeah, I believe that all Nazis are careless no, i but... think I think um, and this idea of you know, what's, what's scary is that like, um, you know, of course the situation is far more extreme and, and, and we all like to think that we would act differently were we in that situation. And, and perhaps in the case of something this, this sinister, we, we probably would. But, um, this notion of, for instance, Eichmann just, just, Working at his career instead of considering the broader picture and just going in doing his work and then not And then trying not to take it home with him, you know, and just yeah. trying to climb up the bureaucratic ladder um, but I mean, that's that's a reason I've heard in in today's day and age for why people would not decide to devote themselves to addressing issues which would maybe be of more pressing concern to the community as a whole Right, which is yeah. to, to, to close off on the injustices that you can see perpetuated around you that perhaps you, in, in, in participating in a system, are contributing to um, in order to, to actually focus on your own well-being and your own welfare. I mean, that's a very human instinct, self-preservation, right? Mm. Um, but it can have such sinister implications.
0: It, it, it certainly can. Um, and uh, we, certainly something we've seen play out many times uh, throughout history um, uh, indeed, in in the case of what I think you're going to talk about, which is which is the American South and and uh, the legacy of which persists in in America and throughout much of the world to this day, as we as we saw uh, especially this summer um, with with Jim Crow laws. Um,
1: do you want to talk about that um, a little bit, Nick? Yeah, I will. I will. I will um, transition into that. Thanks for the for the setup. Um, you don't have and, to call uh, attention so- to it, but that's. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> You're doing good work. You're doing good work. Oh, thank you. you. I, the I appreciate the recognition. <laughs> so, I, I wanted to draw some comparisons with the the American South, in particular. And when I say America, I mean the United States of America, um, rather than the Continental South, um, and what the the segregation laws that so deeply entrenched uh racism and the and the and racism as policy in America. Um, you know, because to look at these uh, you know, majority white populations, um, how they how they marginalized the black citizens is um is to again to draw attention to an example or a situation where um an unthinking well actually majority Firstly, you know, ostracizes and, and scapegoats a particular segment of the population and then, and then segregates them. So puts them in isolation. And then, I mean, the, the, the Germans obviously went a, a crucial step further than that. Oh, well, yeah. But, um, but, uh, the Americans, the Americans went, went, uh, went as far as segregation and, and, um, and so did the South Africans. Um, I'm going to focus more on America, although it's worth noting that there are a few similarities and that um, there is on record, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, interaction between both systems, you know, mm. um, and both systems trying to learn from each other. There are a few academics who have tried to bridge that connection um uh but there is also a crucial difference in the way in which the system operated, which is that in apartheid South Africa the white upper class was a minority in terms of population numbers right whereas in America they were a majority um uh, the the ratio is not the same but inverse it's it's slightly different but um nonetheless the 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 white population of America was a majority
0: so so um, what um, so um uh, sorry if I'm, I'm preempting here, but what are the the implications of of that for how we think about these these systems um would you say is it is one um uh, i don't i don't i don't believe that one is sort of more more insidious than than the other but are there different uh contexts which would al- which would allow us to draw different conclusions or is it or should we be, be thinking about the same conclusions but with, with um, different historical I think circumstances ultimately
1: the objective is the s- same oh, or the, you know the the objective is to is to establish and maintain and assert dominance mm-hmm. um, and to suppress the possibility of, of of emancipation and growth from the subjected population in the case of south Africa um the laws themselves were perhaps um even harsher even stricter and more explicitly um, racist and and you know, um, uh, the Africans were even, even maybe more than America, um, uh, you know, the second class citizens. And that's because, you know, they needed to wield an even harsher degree of power because they were the, the mm. numerical minority, mm. you know, um, and it was not, they were not there first, right? you know, yeah. um, so a slightly different situation in, in America, um, not to say that the whites were there first but um they were not not there first <laughs> uh, well they they were they, they
0: set up a uh, a state i suppose there was not yeah, there were there yeah. were several native american nations um but but yeah. not not become the nation
1: state as we think of it today mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but yeah anyway to to, to provide some uh, definition the um the laws which, until 1965, um, enforced racial segregation in, in the American South were known as uh, Jim Crow laws, right? Um, which were finally sort of abolished um, during the Civil Rights Movement, uh, particularly with the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Um, sure. Which is crazy because that's just over 55 years ago. Um, you know, yeah. My parents are older than that.
0: Yeah. Um do you, do you know where the, the the name Jim Crow comes from it's not something I, I I've ever known
1: Yeah Jim Crow um I mean this is a different conversation but sure. um Jim, Jim Crow was the character of a famous um uh basically a famous pantomime blackface character I see So Jim Crow was like a was like a a stereotype um a a fairly famous stereotype from I what I understand so there were a couple of blackface performers who would go um Around the country and uh, perform these shows where they would you know put, up, put on this this makeup and, and implement these stereotypes and kind of this weird subversive racist practice and entrenched all these stereotypes, and Jim Crow was one of the most famous characters. Jim Crow actually does a song um, right that he was the main character of again, separate conversation, but yeah that is the that is the, the very broad context for it sure, sure sure um, and uh, yeah, so this doctrine was um, approved. And accepted, um, under a notion of separate, but equal. Right. Right. And so this is, and this is, I think, again, where, I, as far as I know, in the South African constitution, there wasn't this idea present. But in the yes. American idea, because in 1865, the slaves had been emancipated, um, when, uh, Jim Crow was, um, state approved in 1896 after the Plessy vs. Ferguson trial, um, which I'll talk about in a second, the, um, the, it was accepted on the basis that the separate but equal idea would not go against the 14th amendment, which insisted on the citizenship of all persons born or naturalized in the United States of America, including freed slaves. Right. Right. So the idea was like, so long as the facilities, which are available to different races, um, are equal, then, um, the separation is a legal one and is not one which is contradictory to this 14th amendment which puts all americans uh at the same level under under the law of the land
0: sounds like a very obviously convenient back door
1: <laughs> yeah obviously that's bullshit but that's yeah. genuinely how they put put it through uh, you know yeah. um and it was an extension really of um uh, so, I mean, so what, what, what the implication of that was that like public spaces were not accessible. So there were, you know, there were, there were, right. I mean, primarily there were, there was white infrastructure, which was not allowed, um, which black people were not given access to. Right. And, um, this, this therefore resulted in them having to create their own versions of, um, and so, you know, whether that was sort of restaurants, um, public transport systems, obviously famously segregated, uh, schools, housing, um, the 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 institutions which really make society function were not mm-hmm. accessible to both um in in the same way whatsoever uh and uh like i said this is sort of an extension of the american laws that were in place in order to suppress uh, african americans uh, although the emancipation act happened in 1865 technically making slavery illegal this was immediately replaced by something which has now been known as the black laws right which were Im- sure. uh, implemented basically straight afterwards um, and they were there to suppress the rights of these newly freed men. Like a, vi- a potent example of, the, of, of what fits under the rubric of black laws is the vagrancy laws, whereby any person homeless or without employment could be forcibly put to work for very low wages. Wow. You see, right? Um, okay, or, yeah. Uh, uh, for public service. So that's slavery by another name. Sure, yeah. You know, huh. for for all of these people who, who were freed without inf- infrastructure, without the funds, without the qualifications to go and find new work, they said, oh, yeah, you're free. And then, and then ah, actually, you're still on the street. So now you come work for us and we tell you how much we pay you. And these are the conditions under which you work. Right. You know? Yeah. Okay. So, that, yeah, what freedom is that? Right. Yeah. Right. And then, so the Plessy versus Ferguson trial um, was when an African-American boarded uh, a, a whites-only train car. Yeah. Right. And and this was considered outrageous. And this was taken all the way up to the Supreme Court. And then um, this notion of separate but equal was formally implemented across the land and was only started to be reversed after the 1954 court case Brown versus the Board of Education, where the daughter of a man, Oliver Brown, was being forced to attend a school further off away than the nearest schools to her because the schools closest to the family home were white and so she would have to walk a considerable distance to school because there was no you know no school buses for black kids and it was just not really a realistic possibility aside from the fact that it was outrageously racist obviously and uh and so this was taken to court and at that point was the was the law reversed but only with regard to segregation in education oh so for it was only for education. legislation only education then there was six, then 10 years later was the civil rights act which started to accelerate the dismantling of some of these segregating laws. Right. But according to the source that I was consulting for segregation to be wiped entirely of the, of the legislation of every southern state was really until the early seventies. Wow. Okay. Which is, yeah, you know, again, less than 50 years ago. Yeah. Um, and uh, the reason why, um, I wanted to focus on the kind of policy that, um, put these things together is that um the, the the process of segregation and the ideology on which they hinged were mainstream. Sure. They were they were legal, they were legislated, um, they were encouraged by the state authorities, enforced by state authorities, and therefore those who benefited from these things could make the easy confusion of assuming that what is law is also morality, you know? Um, and, and so they didn't have to perform the mental gymnastics to justify these things to themselves because they lived in a system that already allowed them to, you know?
0: Right. Yeah. So, so you're saying that uh, by, by having, by having laws in place, can it on occasion excuse us from, um, thinking about the consequences of our actions if it is?
1: Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think, I think I wanted to draw attention to the notion that like when, when the, like, how do we, how do we relate legality to morality? Sure. And yeah. what does that do to our own th- to our, to ourselves? You know, Um I'm, I mean, we can think of like way more banal examples, but like smoking and drinking are legal, but smoking weed is not, smoking tobacco I meant. Yeah, um, but smoking weed or or you know certain prescription drugs are legal, but others are not, and our morality in relation to them, the way in which society views them, is different. Yeah, but maybe not rightfully so. You know, this sure. is not to yeah. pus- push a certain agenda. That's just a conversation. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, um, right. Um, and then and then separation itself, w- which is which is crucial. Uh, really the crucial part of this, um, whether it's in the case of um, the the Jewish population in Nazi Germany or elsewhere. And actually, I don't know if you've seen the film Jojo Rabbit. I haven't. No, but I've, I've heard about it. Okay. Um, which is a very, it's sort of, it's the, it's the only time I've been able to laugh at Hitler because, uh, (laughs) Taika it's the story about this kid, Jojo Rabbit, who's like a 10 year old, he's a little bit of a wimp, um, but he joins the Hitler, Hitler youth, and he wants to very much be a part of that. And he has no friends. So he invents himself an imaginary best friend, who's actually Hitler, right? But it's not actually Hitler. It's, it's what the kid thinks Hitler is. I so see, it's a 10 yeah. year olds version of Hitler. Um and then, and then um, he he it, he realizes that his mother is actually hiding a little Jewish girl in the attic, and so he starts ah. having these interactions with this Jewish girl. Um, but up until then, he had never seen a Jew, so he had all of these um, preconceptions of what Jews are like, you know. Right. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, sorry, sorry to use that term. Maybe that's insensitive, but that's I mean what they what they referred to as then, um, and uh, in in that derogatory fashion. And so he imagined that uh, that Jewish people have um, horns. And that they're, you know, wings and all of these things because the sort of barat um, the vision of of the of the Yeah, of the gym, yeah exactly, yeah. right? But it's this it's this notion of like separation allowed you to create and, and and propagate all of these stereotypes. Right. Because you 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 know nothing about that individual. And I think it's something that Barack Obama said, right? Um that uh racism doesn't hold up to contact. Yeah. You know? You can't hold these stereotypes and and, and, and judge people as inferiors When you have so, such, so frequent interactions with them that you know those things to obviously not be true. Yeah. You know, you have to to do a lot of, you have to do a lot of backflips in your, in your head, um, a lot of mental gymnastics, um, in order to just, to still continue to justify that theory to yourself. Right. Um, and, and this allowed things to be, um, to be ridiculous. I mean, for instance, there was this one drop rule, right? Where it was like in terms of categorizing, um, who, who qualified as white or other really, because that was the two categories, essentially um, it meant that any drop of black blood qualified you as black. And then there were different de- degrees of that. Um, but um, anyone un- anyone that fit under that rule could, could um, drop. So someone, who, and there were even names for it. Like someone who was a, an eighth black was referred to as an octoroon. Oh, wow. Right? Um, which is which is crazy that but that, yeah. that means they have one black grandparent that huh. means um their complexion is is far closer to white yeah um, yeah yeah. probably just slightly tanned than anything else sure that's right um but they would still be still be classified as black then according to those laws or, or you know depending yeah. on uh whether or not they could get away with that but that's obviously just bullshit um that just it doesn't make any sense as a as a notion and um really um this was done in order to preserve the idea of whiteness. Right. Um, The notion of whiteness, which in, which in the same way that the idea, the identity of blackness, um, was created, so too was the idea of whiteness. And, and again, the notion of white, whiteness and white supremacy doesn't hold up to contact, you know? And it was to protect all of these sort of like European citizens who were coming into America and who were changing their, trying to change their, their Jewish heritage into American heritage or their Irish heritage into American heritage, where they had suffered stereotyping on the continent. They were now arriving here and trying to join this, this kind of this white class, you know? Um, and um, and this segregation al- allowed that allowed that to be the case.
0: Really. Yeah, it, it's a fascinating point. This idea of how um, a- identity is created and imposed, and and therefore has to be maintained in order to suit the interests of of uh, the mm. people in power. There's um, I don't know if you've seen um, American Gods, uh, which which was uh, released on, on Amazon Prime in Europe, Stars Network in the US, um, based on, on an incredible book an incredible book by Neil Gaiman. Um, there's a scene where um, it's some slaves are being, tra- it's on a slave ship. Um, people are being transported from West Africa to um, America, the height of the slave trade. Uh, slave trade, And one of the the men being transported um, gives a prayer to Anansi, who is a, a Ghanaian, um, like, sort of trickster god. And um, the figure of a Nancy appears, and he's—I um, oh, don't—I don't even know how to describe the style. But he's dressed like a sort of nineteen seventies, like you know, in um, "Sorry to Bother You," like the sort of power suit, mm. uh, sort of like that. Mm. And he goes, "Ah, oh, look at you! Y'all don't even know you're black yet." He didn't say black, but I can't <laughs>
1: say what he said on the podcast. So, right, um, right, <laughs> but, right. uh, yeah, yeah, it's a, its a—it's a constructed notion. But yeah. again, like we were saying last week, you know, it's. Um, It's a give and take, you know, you can't, you can't, um, you can't create racial theory without constructing all of the races involved in that. Sure. Um, and, um, and again, in order for that to be upheld, in order for that to make sense, um, you can't allow contact, you have to limit the contact. Um, so I think what's interesting, um, about the, in the, in the case of, of the American South is that like. By buying into this notion of segregation, Americans, white Americans, were buying into the notion of white America and into the notion of the kind of uh, and and what that meant for the American dream. For you Mm. know, it was so deeply entrenched into into the American psyche, and really still is. You know, even if policy and legislation is 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 less is less a part of it today, culturally speaking, I think America is 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 um is basically uh, suffering from schizophrenia in terms of its identity. Right? Because it's this, it's this impossibility to bridge this notion that like, actually really for all intents and purposes, America is neither white nor black and it never was either. America yeah. like really was designed in order to, to treat everyone equally, but then t- they had to make all of these clauses and sub clauses in order to justify um, well, prioritization yeah you know.
0: it's the it's the ex- explicitly it was created to make everyone equally though that was though yeah. but how that that narrative uh yeah interacts with the reality which is these subclauses that to prioritize is 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 you know cause of, yeah. cause of tension um and i think yeah. what what you've also made me think about in your example of the american south is is how um you know saying this idea of 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 uh it was legally permitted, so it happened. The degree to which law has ever been explicitly about morality, I don't know if it has. I think law has always been more about order, and um, you mm. can excuse some some pretty horrific things in the name of order.
1: Right, right, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and uh, I think the the um the the way in which that's manifested in 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 these these rules and in, in these systems of oppression is is a potent is a potent example mm. of that, right yeah um, definitely and uh, and i mean you know again to point to the extent to which um these things were were secondary you know um until i think um uh the i think i think until 2017 when congress passed a memo from what i'm looking at now america didn't have an official language Mm. america declared english as the official language of the united states in 2017 because up until that point it wasn't predicated on on one specific identity it was supposed to be this melting pot that's explicitly how it was interesting you know functionally how it was designed um so english under the under the the
0: trump presidency interesting
1: Hmm. Yeah, so, so to, to, um, draw that back to, I think, initially what we were saying aside from, um, excusing things under law. What's interesting about, um, this particular idea? Um, and and particularly this like the the workings of segregation is that they explicitly benefit one segment of the population or they mm. seem to benefit one section of the population mm. um, you know maybe they suffer from spiritual impoverishment and and uh, a paradox of identity but um at the at the cost of someone else you know and it's this and it's this like this kind of like uh, the focus was not on like the degradation of black Americans, but rather on upholding this white supremacy and this notion of specialness and, yeah. and, 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 you know, favoritism in the eyes of God and all this kind of stuff. Right. So it was like, it was the, yeah. American exceptionalism it its finest. The carrot being held in front. Sure. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. So, so, um, I, I, I really don't know, um, what that means for, for, um, the morality of these individuals for how we can judge these ind- individuals looking back. I think a lot of it is to what you say, the banality of evil, you know? Um, yeah. and, 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 you know, I think there is something to be said for, for, um, individuals who are very conscious of these actions and who, and who hold certain powerful tools in order to make their visions reality. But then also for systems, which kind of operate by themselves. So long as people are willing to put blinkers on and only, Make their small contribution. Yeah, I think right. that that, oh, that for context.
0: I, I think that's definitely true, and I think that that it's important to say that, um, although we are perhaps all to a degree complicit in 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 systems um, that that perpetuate negative things, that you know there's all a degree of banality to, to everything. There are certainly people who are more complicit than others. Like I I would say you know your average sort of, uh, <laughs> working family in Nazi Germany may have been complicit to a degree. In the in the rise of the party, but they were not as as responsible as Adolf Eichmann, for example. Um, mm. Similarly, for for the for the uh, Jim Crow laws, I'm I'm sure the um, segregation. Yeah. But, the, but I guess that. But it's a
1: spectrum. Maybe. It's a spectrum. To, sure. To demonise them all or to excuse them all um, is a dangerous path, either way.
0: Yeah, and I, I think that the. As as so often we come to the conclusion on this podcast is a very important first step in order to rectify these things is just to to reflect about when I was in yeah. school they always made us do reflections on whatever we'd just done and I always hated it um, because I'm like I did this you tell me what I did good or bad I don't want to I don't want to do your job for you right. but self reflection is as it turns out an important skill for <laughs> um, for for acting morally in the world.
1: Yeah, navigating life conscientiously. Yeah. Yeah. Um, nice. Well, I think I think in that case we can we can leave it there. Thank you for your insight into into the elements of the of the of the Nazi psyche and and on the banality of evil. That was quite interesting. Yeah,
0: and thank you for your for your um, um, education in, on the uh, segregation in in the deep south.
1: Hmm. Mm, um. Before we cleanse our palates of these yep. heavy topics mm-hmm. and um, try and balance ourselves out with our usual dose of lightness, yeah, that we would like to implement and sprinkle across our podcasts. Do you have any admin to address, Adam? Any anything you'd like to promote? I any,
0: would like to invite like our to listeners to um, follow us on Instagram at Good Life um, Been putting up a lot of lot of nice quotes, um, little 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 uh, sort of. Um, boosts boosts for your day clips clips from the show um it's a good time uh, and i think you'll you'll really like it so at goodlifecast uh on instagram also leave us a review would love that would love to read a review i don't know where we can read reviews but i'm sure they're out there somewhere
1: i know where we can read reviews i'll show you <laughs>
0: thank you <laughs>
1: appreciate it
0: do you have any admin nick
1: i don't know um you've said everything
0: great Great. Cool. Okay. In that case, um, would you, do you have a fact, Nick?
1: I do. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, so I'm sticking with my water theme. Mm-hmm. I, um, very short fact today, but, um, there is, uh, a remote region in, um, the mid Pacific ocean halfway between California and Hawaii. Okay. which which uh, was unofficially named in 2002 by researchers um of Stanford University's Hopkins Marine Station um as the white shark cafe oh okay and um and uh it was uh named as such because although the area had not been suspected of being um a frequent uh uh habitat for sharks um, these researchers who were tracking the sharks discovered that the sharks, um, have had a tendency to, to loiter in that area between their, um, um uh, their migratory journeys across the oceans. Wow. And, okay. Um, they were perplexed by this because there didn't seem to be enough food, um, for the animals there. Um, it was the <laughs> Researchers described it as the shark equivalent of a desert. Wow, um, okay. <laughs> um, but that in all likelihood, the logic for sharks being able to stay around that area for so long is that there is a rich and diverse food chain too deep to be detected by sal- satellites
0: that provides oh. a potentially
1: abundant food supply for the sharks.
0: That's super cool. Um, it's like hidden underground, yeah, like, a, like yeah. a speakeasy for sharks. I love it.
1: Uh, Yeah. Um, and, uh, uh, and because, yeah, they, they were saying, so while at the cafe, they dive to depths of, uh, like 1,500 feet or 460 meters as often as once every 10 minutes. Wow. Um, Okay. And and again, and the final reason why it's called the, the, the the cafe is because the sharks who come there come from different places. Um, So it's like a meetup. (laughs) It's like an ocean meetup for sharks.
0: Wow. Okay. Huh. Interesting. I wonder, I hope that mm. there are some expeditions planned in submarines to see what's down there.
1: <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, it's just the sharks, man. They come, they chill. They <laughs> it's a good time. They meet people. They talk perspectives, you know, yeah, it's very hashtag shark
0: parties, um,
1: <laughs> which, which yeah, I'll, so there, there I'll go, put on our next
0: place. That's, that's wonderful. Thanks so much, Nick. Um, I, I have one as well. Um, a little bit of context for this fact. Um, we, because of a, a technical issue a few weeks back, we're sort of a week behind on our release schedule, so uh, we're recording this on October 28th, um, but it's not coming out until November 8th, um, which means that by the time this uh, episode is released, the American election will have happened, Nick. Um, yeah, that's So true. here's a fact about President Joe Biden.
1: Um, He may not have been confirmed by then
0: Well, nonetheless President Joe, uh, congratulations Joe um, On (laughs) on your victory Um, um,
1: You're you're a (laughs) psych
0: I hope I haven't just tempted fate, but uh, here we are. Um, he's been a senator since 1972, so nearly 50 years. And he first pursued the presidency in the um, in 1998. 1998, 32 years ago, he he put in a bid for the Democratic presidential nomination.
1: 20, 22, 22 years ago.
0: 1988, 32 years ago. Oh, 88. Yeah, okay. yeah. All right. Um, uh, but he withdrew his uh, his bid after it was revealed that parts of his campaign stump speech had been plagiarised from British Labour Party leader Neil Kinnock without proper attribution. <laughs> um, thanks, Joe. It was actually it was actually so my he's birthday uh, from back in the day. Uh, it make make a comeback. It was in my birthday a few weeks ago, and my good friend Johnny Oud um, at John for New on Instagram uh, sent me a text message saying. Um, happy birthday, Adam! Uh, as a president, as a present, I've placed a twenty-pound bet on Donald Trump winning the election. Um, if Joe Biden wins, I hope that's happiness enough. If not, I hope the one hundred and twenty-five pound winnings are something of a consolation. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Fair enough. That's a great gift. Actually. Yeah, yeah, great <laughs> gift. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. So, so you're, you're. Um, thank you for declaring your political. Alliances, allegiance.
0: Well, I don't know if my allegiance is to Joe Biden, but given a choice between him and Donald Trump, it's not a choice. So um, here we are. Um, here we are.
1: Well, thank you for that fun
0: fact. You're 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 most welcome. Thank you for yours, and thank you as always for podding with me, uh, Nicholas. I hope you have a wonderful day, uh, as I hope you do too, dear oh, don't, listener. Don't
1: don't jinx it. With love and rage. Wonderful, wonderful. There's a, there's a pretty big, I said love and rage. The podcast is over, Nick. I'm sorry. I said love and rage, sir.